where it seems like some new words have been added to our vocabularies over the last few days, don't they? Self-isolation, pandemics, COVID-19. The eyes of a very anxious world are watching the rising infection rates and the death toll. And the situation, as we've already said this morning, is constantly changing, it's moving, it's shifting amid new reports. Perhaps you saw, like I did this week, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, tell us that it's the worst public health crisis in a generation. This is not a drill, but it's for real. The coronavirus, a microscopic particle of genetic material that's wrapped in a protein coat that scientists debate whether it's even really a living thing, is turning our world upside down. It's teaching us just how weak and fragile we are as human beings, isn't it? It's a, it's a virus that doesn't respect ethnic um, boundaries. It doesn't respect national borders. It's not a Chinese virus. It's not an Italian virus. It's our virus as well. And when I was preparing this, it was infecting 150 countries around the world. And in the eyes of the virus, we are, uh, we're all the same. The world looks on at us and it says how different we are. But the virus kind of looks on at us and realizes we're the same. We're all weak and we're all really without answers. And so this morning, I want us to turn to a place in Scripture where in the midst of the crisis, when it's so easy to be gripped by fear, when we look around and, and we're tempted as the media and the news and the, the newspapers tell us that, you know, it's everywhere, that we're tempted to see it in our, on our computer keyboards, on our phone screens, uh, in the air that we breathe. Uh, we're tempted to see it in every physical contact, that it's around every corner, almost like it's stalking us, waiting to infect us. And it's causing widespread panic and panic buying and so forth. God's word gives us hope. So this morning I don't come as a, uh, as you know well, I, in no shape or form am I trying to be a healthcare expert. I'm not going to pretend that everything is going to be okay. We must take it seriously. We must be vigilant. But at the same time, we, I am a minister of the gospel and so we can go to places in the Bible that give us hope in any and all crises, even health issues. And it presents to us truth that is critical for us to hold on to in the midst of a shifting and shaking world. And that's Psalm 121. <clears throat> now, the first thing to notice is, before we read, is that Psalm 121 doesn't address God, which is perhaps unusual amongst all of the Psalms. But it addresses the reader. It addresses the hearer. It addresses the singer or the pilgrim who would have sung this when they were in need of great encouragement and help. So it's very truly God's word to us this morning. So let's read together. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let me pray for us and then we'll explore it together. Father, we thank you this morning that in the midst of fear and worry and anxiety and uncertainty, that you are a God who can be trusted. And we thank you this morning that you remain, uh, you're not a God who remains distant and out there and separate and aloof from your people, but you are a God who speaks right into the situations and circumstances that we face with truth that we can cling to. And so we pray that you would give us that truth this morning through Psalm 121, that you would address our anxious hearts, that you would address our fears, that you would address the uncertainties that we face with a reminder that you are our keeper and that you can be relied upon in all things and especially at this time in light of the coronavirus. So speak, Lord, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word and do us good, encourage us, build us up and edify us for our sake and your glory, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, look with me at verse 1, because first of all, we, we hear perhaps what are the words of a novice or a rookie pilgrim who is on his way to Jerusalem. So this is a psalm that would have been sung by pilgrims who were going up to the annual festivals in Jerusalem that were celebrated by the Old Testament Jews. And in verse 1, we find perhaps the words of a young pilgrim, a, a novice and a rookie who has perhaps walked for several days along rocky paths, whose feet are sore, whose muscles are aching, and he is perhaps from an obscure little village going up to Jerusalem. And he looks up to the hills that surround the city of Jerusalem, that, where the city of Jerusalem is set, and he asks a question. I look up to these hills, from where does my help come from? Now, the pilgrim knows that the next part of his journey is perhaps the most taxing bit that he's going to face as he's going up the hill now on the final stages to Jerusalem. And mountains and hills were very dangerous, not least because they, there were no real roads. So you were walking along uh, no well-worn paths. You were walking alongside rivers over tricky mountain passes with sore feet and aching muscles that would have made your journey hazardous. There was the threat of perhaps falling down a steep uh, uh, ravine, or perhaps your foot, as it's expressed, might slip on the journey. So he's looking for help. Mountains and hills were also dangers that uh, held bandits and robbers. You see that in Luke uh, 10 with the story of the, of the Good Samaritan, as one is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, or, uh, and he is set upon by a marauding band of robbers who mug him and leave him for dead because the hills were places where these bandits hid. So there was dangers there. 
Then all the way through the New Testament, we're told that it was at the, the, on the hilltops and in the high places that people went to worship idols, to sacrifice to Baal uh, and different uh, and Ashtaroth. These were the places where false gods were worshipped. And so there was the, the danger that you might be tempted to, to be distracted from worshipping the true God by false gods. And so the, the pilgrim sees danger lurking around him and he cries out, where does my help come from? But then he reassures himself in verse 2. His eyes go beyond the hills, his eyes go beyond the horizon, his eyes go beyond the earth. Really, they go beyond the far edges of the universe to the creator. As he fixes his eyes on God, one who stands outside and is above and apart from the world that he is in. One who is orchestrating the cosmos and history and life. The pilgrim says, he is my help. He acknowledges God as faithful to help him and notice he doesn't just say God but he says Lord he says Yahweh this covenant making covenant keeping God one who is personal and keeps his promises to his people he calls on that God knowing that he made the heavens and the earth but he also is our God who can be held onto and trusted so he doesn't deny the threats that are being that he's facing but he knows the God with whom he faces them. And perhaps this morning we stand finding echoes of the same kind of dialogue going on in our hearts. We look to the news and we read the newspapers and we read the menacing threats of this microscopic invisible virus and we feel afraid. We read the statistics and we feel worried. And helpless. We see the empty shelves in the supermarket and you can't get your toilet roll or your hand sanitizer. And everybody's freaking out and we feel like well, maybe the sky is falling in. Perhaps we're worried about loved ones who have underlying health conditions and we feel concerned for what might happen to them. And someone might say to you, well, you just got to trust God. And that's the pat answer and it's true. And yet, it can seem so hollow and empty. Well, the good news here is that Psalm 121 doesn't finish after verse 2. By the grace of God, uh, there's another six verses. As God tells us the kind of help that he provides to his people when they are in need. And in verses 3 through 8, it seems like we encounter a second voice. You see the language change from verses 1 and 2 where it says I and my to the language that changes in verses 3 through 8 to you and your. As a second perhaps more older seasoned pilgrim encourages this first voice with the truth of who God is and the help that he provides. And all the way through verses 3 through 8 you get this repeating word that captures the essence of what God is doing towards his people, the help that he shows them. That he's not just the maker of heavens and earth, that he's not just a, a powerful and transcendent God who's apart from his people, but he is a God who comes and keeps his people. Through the verses 3 through 8, we see the word keep, verse 3, keep, verse 4. The Lord is your keeper, verse 5. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you. He will keep your life and he will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God is a keeper. One who watches, one who is protective, one who is preserving his people, one who is caring with a tenderness 
for his people who are in trouble. There's three things about God's keeping that I think he wants us to encourage us with this morning. The first one is this, that God's keeping is without interruption. God's keeping is without interruption. In verses 3 and 4, we're reminded that God doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. That his eyes are always on us. He's ever vigilant in watching us and protecting us. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't have a coffee break. He doesn't slip into the loo and read a book. He's always watching us without interruption. God is like the original 24-hour CCTV. He's always watching his people. But sometimes it just feels like he might not be, doesn't it? If we're honest, sometimes we feel like, where is God? What is he doing? Why isn't he working in this situation? What is he doing to help us? And I was, as I was thinking about that question, I was reminded about the story in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus and his disciples are in a boat together, and, and Jesus is asleep, because in his humanity, he's tired. And so he falls asleep and a storm strikes the boat and the disciples flip out and panic. Seasoned fishermen who, nan, who are fearful about what is happening to them. And they wake Jesus up and he says to them, why are you afraid? Jesus knew what was going on. He knew their plight. He knew that they were in the darkness and in the storm. And even when these seasoned fishermen were scared, they were worried about what was happening Uh, in front of them when they felt helpless and hopeless even when they had been rowing for hours and they were exhausted and they were despairing and they were weary and they were miserable and they were fearful Jesus says to them do not be afraid why because he's in the boat with them he's with them he's with them without interruption he sees he cares He knows he is with them and he can be trusted. And Psalm 121 says the same. He's not asleep at this moment in time. He's not slumbering. He will not let our foot be moved. He's awake. He's alert. He's watching. He's not caught off guard by a viral outbreak. He's not worried by the panic buying He's not even disheartened by our fears as his people. He can be trusted. Psalm 121 reminds us that he is a keeper who does not sleep. He watches us without interruption so that our foot will not be moved. What that means is he's our firm foundation. He's our rock and our security. When the world moves and when our knees knock, he remains secure. He watches over us as our solid ground. And when we are anchored to him, when we're anchored to the eternal God, we can deal with whatever happens to us in time and space. When we're united to the one who has made all things, yet he himself remains unmovable, we ourselves will not be moved. That's what the promise is here in Psalm 121. He will not let our foot be moved. He's caring for us without interruption. Secondly, he's caring for us without exception. He's caring for us without exception. Verses 5 and 6, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So here's the idea that God is a shade for us. 
that in the midst of the hot Middle Eastern sun, where the sun was considered dangerous, much like it is today, you can get sunstroke, you can get dehydration, you can get sunburn. That was all a, a very real experience for the, for the ancient Middle East, as much as it is for people who live there today. God will protect them. And the moon it was thought to have power to harm you. That's why we say words like you're a lunatic. Because it was thought that it would send you mad or it would harm you. God comes and he says, the sun and the moon, I'm a shield and a shade, a protection to you, no matter what you face. In the fiercest, hottest parts of the day and in the dangers and the deepest, darkest dread of the night, I'm watching. When you are most exposed in the day, when you are most exposed in the night, whether it be physical things or fears, God is watching over his people without exception. His care and his protection towards us are always. When life is most fragile, when the ground shakes, when the unexpected happens, when disasters strike, when evil stalks, when viruses spread... Psalm 121 reminds us that God is our keeper. Now, don't misunderstand me, please. The psalmist is not saying that God's people will be spared from adversity, that they will be spared from problems, that they will be spared from COVID-19. But he is saying that he will be with us so that perhaps Although the sun might strike us, he will protect us from the UV rays that cause the cancer of unbelief and fear that could so easily strike us. That the dragons and the threats that might stalk us in the middle of the night, they are real, but he will be with us to protect us. That life is dangerous, the threats are real, but they are no match for our God. And so the reality is, we might get the virus, some of us. Some of us might already have it. At home, or we may be asymptomatic, we may suffer, the, we may suffer from the illness, we may lose people we love, we may lose members of our church, and yet God promises us that he is watching over us without interruption and without exception now you might have a question well what about this well gods would say i'm watching I'm covering what about that i'm watching i'm covering I'm your shade, I'm your keeper, I'm your God. There's not a single maverick molecule in the universe that is outside of God's control. We might stumble, we might stub our toe on the journey, we might limp, we might be infected with coronavirus, but no injury, no sickness, no accident, no distress, no peril, no calamity, no happening, no situation, no circumstance, no suffering can ever outsmart or overpower or overwhelm our God and thwart his plan. And nothing 
Paul reminds us in Romans 8, nothing will separate us from the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. So he's watching us without interruption. He's watching us without exception. And then thirdly, he's watching us without limitation. Look with me again at verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The language that the psalmist uses here to express God's watching over his people is all, all evil, all Then he uses these kind of Hebrew idioms that are uh, languages, turns of phrase. He says, you're going out and you're coming in. So that's that's a sort of a from the east to the west. From you're going out to you're coming in and everything in between. From now and forevermore and everything in between. God is watching his people without limitation. It's a comprehensive watching. The scope of his watchful care is on everything it's always and forever that's not a promise the same as saying God's just going to promise you a cushy life free from adversity free from pain free from unpleasantness free from suffering but it is saying this God has got our backs in physical health in spiritual needs all of life from immediate preoccupations and concerns like a coronavirus, right through every day of our whole lives and beyond. There's no limitation to his watchful, tender, steadfast, loving care for his people, whether it be seen or unseen, whether it be in this life or in the next. God keeps his people without limitation. So in a moment, we're going to sing in Christ alone. And in that final verse, it says this, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry from now until my final breath and forevermore. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man, no coronavirus can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or to when he calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand so through the the corona crisis coronavirus crisis through relational crises through emotional stress through physical pain through spiritual turmoil through painful grief even through death, God watches his people without interruption, without exception, without limitation. And that is good news. That is good news. Although we do not know what the future holds, we know the one who holds the future. And he's watching. And he's in control of the situation and he can guide us through it. And for his people, he will guide us through it. And even if the very worst thing that could possibly happen to you or someone that you love happens, if they are hidden in Christ, he's still keeping them. And he will take them to eternity to be with himself. So we can trust him. 
we can believe on him and we can enter the next week with faith instead of fear. Now, if you are here and you're not a Christian, might I beg you to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. We could talk more about what that means afterwards. But if you walked in this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would be fearful, but not about the fear of the coronavirus, but fear of what lies beyond. For the Bible tells us that we are infected with a virus as human beings that is far worse than the coronavirus. It's the virus of sin that has struck every man and woman and child. And the virus of sin has no vaccine and no human cure. And it's 100% fatal for all who are infected by it. And yet God has come in the person of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, he lived among sick people, not wearing a mask or a chemical protective suit, but breathing the same air as us, eating the same food as us, living amongst us, even though we're infected with this virus, so that he might die for us in our place, bearing the effects of that virus in his body himself. And he died in isolation, was excluded from his people, was far from his father, nailed to a cross, so that he might provide this sick world filled with sick people like you and me with the antidote to the virus. That he might save us and heal us and give us life. In John 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he poses the question, do you believe this? And that's the question we must all ask ourselves. Do we believe this, that all those who trust in Jesus Christ will live even though they die? And do you believe this for your own life? Now, how do we respond as Christians to this global crisis? Having given us the truth, that God is watching over us without interruption, without exception, and without limitation. How should we respond to this coronavirus, especially when we are so weak and small and insignificant as human beings? Well, just five things. Uh, These aren't from the text, but they're just five things that have been buzzing around my head uh, as I've thought about this. For us as Christians, how should we respond? Firstly, we should be careful. Neither God's word nor the love of Jesus Christ encourages us to be reckless or to take careless risks. So we should heed the government advice. We should wash our hands. We should use hand sanitizer where available. We should cough into a tissue and catch it and bin it and kill it. 
We should self-isolate when the need arises. We should be careful. Secondly, we should be care-filled. Care-filled. Throughout history, there's been many different pandemics and plagues that have struck the the human race. And often you will find that there are Christians who stand out because they are willing to help the sick, even in the midst of plagues and pandemics. There were Christians who loved people, who stepped out and weren't afraid of death because they understood Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so they were willing to step into the mess of sickness and disease to demonstrate their faith to a watching world. And so I would suggest that as Christians, uh, one of the questions we ask is, yes, how can I stay healthy? But the, the next most important question to ask is this, how can I help the sick and the needy? Whether that be through caring for the old people in our community, uh, one of the things that Claire and I talked about is we we're going to set up a WhatsApp group. We're going to send a little note through every door of our neighbor's house and then say, if you want to be on a WhatsApp group for our road, and if you, then we can help one another if we need stuff or if we run into the shop and someone needs something, perhaps we can help one another. Let me just encourage you. Maybe you could do that with neighbors or friends or, or people that you know who might not be able to get out to the shops, the older folks of our community in particular. We're trying to set up uh, a WhatsApp, uh, a whole church WhatsApp group so we can stay in contact with one another or through our small groups. Check out the social media and the website pages so that you know what's happening so that you can care for those around you. One of our responsibilities as Christians is we are to love our neighbor. So let's not be quick to hide away so that we're safe. Let's be quick to help others. Compassion and selflessness is supposed to mark Christians, and it should mark us during this time. Why? Because as we've already said, Jesus Christ himself put on flesh and stepped into our sickness and sin and death to help us. He cared for the sick, he cared for the hurting, and so we must do likewise as his followers. So be careful, be care-filled, be faithful, be faithful. So, As the eyes of an anxious world are watching this unfold, it's a stark reminder, as we've already said, of our weakness and our morality. uh, Sorry, our mortality. Don't neglect to share the hope that we have in Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15, we're called to share the hope that we have in Jesus. So share about Jesus who came. As we've already said this morning, lived among sick people took on the curse and the effects of the sin virus to save us and to rescue us. That he is the resurrection and the life, that whoever believes on him can find eternal life. Be faithful to share the gospel as we have opportunity. Fourth, be faith-filled. So faithful and then faith-filled. Worry is not the friend of the Christian. Panic is not to be our way. Uh, Corrie ten Boom in the Second World War, when she was faced down with the, the, the Nazi oppression and occupation of the Netherlands, wrote this in her diary, I think, once. She said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. 
Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. In a time of crisis, the world needs faith-filled people who are strengthened by the word of God, who are strengthened by the promises of God, who are strengthened by the spirit of God, who then are selfless by the grace of God and the power of God to speak the truth and to care for the sick. So while we must remain alert and vigilant against the virus, worrying doesn't change our circumstances. Worrying will not lower our chances of infection. Worrying will not help us fight off the illness. Worrying will not move us to love and action for others. Worrying only increases trouble, and it's common to all of us, and yet God calls us not to worry, but to face troubles and threats with courage and faith leaning our whole weight on him because he is our keeper. He's keeping us without interruption, without exception, without limitation. Therefore, if he's watching us, we do not need to be worried. And we lean our whole weight on him by this fifth thing, being prayerful. How do we avoid being worried? How do we be faith-filled? We are prayerful. Pray. Pray. Go before God and honestly tell him how you're feeling. Tell him if you're scared. Tell him if you're frustrated. Tell him if you're lonely. Tell him if you're exhausted. He is big enough to handle it. He really is. Now, going to God and expressing your scare, uh, your fears and your frustrations and your exhaustion and your worries is not, it's not going and wagging a finger at God. Why are you letting this happen? But it's expressing our deepest concerns to him so that we can choose to trust him. Lord, I'm feeling this. Lord, I'm feeling that. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I will trust you. I will depend upon you. I'm desperate for you, and I have confidence in you. There's a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I think it is, where King Jehoshaphat is on the throne, and he's facing threats, military threats, from the nations around him that are threatening to invade Israel and conquer them and turn them all into slaves. And so Jehoshaphat calls his people to pray, and in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 9, he says this, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, which is another word for viruses, or famine, we will stand before this house, before the temple, and before you, O God, for your name is in this house, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us, and you will save us. And then in verse 12, it says this, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. That's what we're to do. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. If disaster and pestilence comes upon us, we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us, and you will help us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. So pray to God. Pray that he might show this world his mercy. Pray for our leaders and the authorities, the medical and scientific advisors that run our country, that they might operate with wisdom beyond their learning. Pray for the medical teams and the doctors and the nurses and the hospital staff that are treating the sick. Pray for men and women and children that have been infected. 
Pray for the people that are afraid to leave their homes. Pray for the people living in red zones and areas that are locked down. Pray for those who are at high risk from this illness because of underlying health concerns. Pray for the elderly. Pray for those who have already lost loved ones and who no doubt will lose loved ones. Pray that God would keep us. Pray that God would give us opportunities for the gospel. Pray that God would turn many people through this situation to him for salvation. Pray that Jesus would return. And that when he comes back, he would take us to a new creation. That he has prepared for us. A place that Revelation 21 says is without tears, where there's no death, where there's no viruses, where there's no mourning, where there's no crying, where there's no pain. Pray. Alistair Groves, who is the uh, executive director of CCEF, the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, said this in a recent article that we shared via email. Pour out your anxieties to your heavenly father. Do not churn fruitlessly inside your own heart with worries about school closures and travel plans and economic downturns or the potentially infected surfaces that you have touched. When you are afraid, turn to him. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In fact, let hand washing or rubbing on of hand sanitizer become a minute, a moment in which you consciously entrust yourself and the future of everyone you care about into his hands. So it might get worse before it gets better. We might be spared or we might become a statistic, but we must look to God for his help. Not because he necessarily promises us to protect us or our loved ones from the illness, but because he's already shown his love for us in sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because he is the God who watches out our coming out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I'm praying that this virus would be somehow eradicated I'm praying for my family and for yours that we would be healthy. But God is good regardless of what the next few weeks bring. His ever watchful care is on us. It's without interruption. It's without exception. It's without limitation. And it is good news. So wash your hands. Self-isolate where needed. But don't put your hope in those things. Put your hope in God. I desire long life for my family and for yours. But the goal of life is not to live the longest. The goal of life is to be ready for that final day. So put your hope and trust in Jesus. And may we, in the face of this coronavirus, be Christians who have an unshakable confidence in God who keeps us even when we don't know what's coming next. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. Lord, we pray now that your promises would be very real to us, that we would lift up our eyes 
beyond the newspapers and the BBC News app. And we would say, where does my help come from? Our help comes from our God who made heaven and earth, who will not let our foot be moved. He is a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, but keeps his people. He is the shade on our right hand, so that the sun will not strike us by day, nor the moon by night. He is the God who will keep us, keep our lives from the going out to the coming in, both now and forevermore. May his promises be etched upon our hearts. May his truth be in our minds. And may his spirit be in our hearts. So that we might live carefully, full of care for others. We might live faithfully, full of faith in God. And we might live prayerfully, trusting in you as our keeper who watches us without exception without uh, without limitation without interruption we pray these things in his name amen amen we're going to stand and we're going to close out with a final song in christ alone let's stand and sing together